Blog Talk Radio. tuning in and supporting our program. We got a jam-packed show for you tonight. Uh, first off, before we get into anything, just want to send out best wishes to uh, Matt Hardy, who was injured last night at the Extreme Rising uh, event uh, in Pennsylvania. Uh, took a nasty fall from what we're hearing. He is doing better, so we wanted to send out best wishes to Matt Hardy on a speedy recovery. Uh, just let everyone know, uh, we will not be doing a show next week. Next week it being Thanksgiving weekend, so uh, everyone spend some quality time uh, with your families. I hope everyone has a safe and happy Thanksgiving weekend, but we won't be doing the show next week. So this is it right here, Survivor Series pregame. Great show in store for you. Be sure to check us out on Facebook.com slash The Ken Reedy Show, at The Ken Reedy Show on Twitter, and TheKenReedyShow.com. And if you check out MeTV on Friday nights at 11 o'clock, yours truly is doing commentary for the matches for NWA on Fire. So be sure to check that out. And tonight, aside from doing Survivor Series stuff, we have up-and-coming cruiserweight sensation. He's been on WWE programming. He wrestles for NWA. Sebastian Cruz will be joining us for a little bit. And a big deal. We are really excited about this because, you know, if you're a wrestling fan, if you're a true wrestling fan, the, the letters NWA mean a lot to you. And there's a lot of upheaval in the NWA. And we had Fred Rubenstein, who is the COO of the NWA, and he's going to be calling in the second hour to give us an idea of what direction the NWA may be going in. Are we looking at... Potentially another golden age for the NWA. Could they, in fact, become a powerhouse again in the world of professional wrestling? We're going to get the lowdown from Fred in the second hour. But let's get right into the wrestling talk. As always, my tag team partner, Dave, is on the line. Dave, how are you doing tonight? Living the dream, brother. Living the dream. <laughs> well, let's get right into it because we got a jam-packed show tonight. And, you know, why don't we go – we're going to go to the Facebook page first off, and then we'll discuss this because – this past um, Monday night, a bit controversial. Good, bad, we'll debate. But Jerry Lawler, as everyone knows, had a heart attack on the air. Very happy. 
that he is okay, he's back, uh, very pleased with that. Um, you know, we do that thread every every Monday on the uh, Facebook page. Uh, it was kind of surreal that night going back and forth, and it didn't look good. Uh, as we speculated right here on the show, would they in fact at some point use the heart attack as at least part of a storyline? And uh, it appears as if they decided they would at least use it to a certain extent, and we asked on our Facebook page, our fans, uh, Jerry Lawler, CM Punk, Angle with a heart attack, offensive, or just good edgy storyline? Uh, Michelle DeGee wrote, um, we probably didn't need to see all that happened in the back, but he bleeds the business. Why not use it since he's okay now? He's helping Punk's heel character. People like us are always complaining about everything is too PG, so why not be more edgy? Perhaps some controversy will also lead to more publicity. It usually does. Friend Pat Crowley says, fantastic, old school, cool, bravo, with a series of exclamation points. He goes on to say, makes me count the days to sit way, 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 way up in section 320 at WrestleMania 29. This I like. Uh, Mike Ferrara writes, we talked about this on your show. I liked it. Punk is a great heel and WWE needed to show what Jerry went through so people knew what a big deal it was. Our friend Dank says, Punk Lawler is a good story. Paul faking the heart attack was a little much. Now, our friend Tony, who's our blogger, says, I found it really tasteless. They had to resort to a real incident to get heel heat on a heel. Terrible. Then to make it even worse, Cole tells King to forget what Punk said. I'm really hoping they don't go any further with this, but knowing the, the way the WWE operates, I doubt this will be all. And KJ Lynn writes, I quite enjoyed the bit, and I was texting back and forth with Michelle, our producer, during it. So a mixed bag, definitely. Some people, and if you read the on the Internet, um, you know, some people loved it. Some people hated it. Uh, you know, for, for my take on this, um, I kind of really, I don't know if I needed to see all that I saw in the, in the back. Uh, that was a bit disconcerting. Uh, I don't know if I needed to see that. Um, interesting where some people criticized and said, well, this was just a ratings ploy. This was disgusting, yada, yada, yada. I don't look at this as a ratings ploy because they didn't advertise, uh, you know, tune in to Monday Night Raw and watch Jerry have a heart attack and get CPR performed on him. So that they showed it, but they didn't advertise it. So I can't really say it was a ratings ploy. I found that difficult to watch. Um, I don't know if all of that was 100% necessary. For a guy like Lawler and the stock he has in the company and, and the respect he has, if it was used on Monday Night Raw, my feeling is it was probably his idea. And if it wasn't his idea, he he gave the okay for it. So as much as for the rest of us, it might be weird, it might be tasteless, Um I don't know. It's his heart attack. If he decides he wants to use it as part of a, a raw storyline, uh, that's his business. Uh, I, I would feel differently if I, I read something that WWE forced him to use it, but I, I got no problem with them using it um, if he was okay with it. Uh, and it is edgy, and it drew some heat, and it was shocking, and... You know, if you, if you clamor for the Attitude Era and you think the Attitude Era was great and there were some things in the Attitude Era that kind of went a little too far, but when you push the envelope, and that's what wrestling fans want, they want you to push the envelope. T 
to me, you, you start to split hairs if, if you're going to take that attitude as a fan. Well, push the envelope, but not in that direction because I don't like it. If you're going to push the envelope, you got to take the good with, with the bad. And is this a sign of things to come? Are we going to see edgier storylines down the road? Is, are things going to change a bit because perhaps Linda McMahon's political career is, is close to being finished? Uh, who knows? But I don't have a, a huge problem with this. Like I said, I just don't know if I would have, if I needed to see all that I saw in the back. Dave, what did you think of this? Well, first off, the actual the actual video video itself, um, a lot of people I read online were like shocked that they would show the video, um, that they would even film like all that stuff that was taking place where he had to get his heart started again. They were, you know doing CPR on them, and I think the company, not to defend the company, but I'm just taking a guess, I think the company filmed that just for, you know, liability purposes, you know, that they have it documented in case, you know, legally down the line they had to use it, you know. Um, I, I could have, I mean, like you said, it was difficult to watch. Um, I, I was more numb watching it than it was being difficult, um, they could have just done still shots and it would have been okay, or they could have just not shown it at all. But after seeing that, I could understand the wrestling fans saying, oh, the whole heart attack thing was, if if wrestling fans were to say this, but I could understand if they were to say, oh, the whole heart attack thing is fake because they showed the, the clips, it's just another wrestling storyline. Because that's what it seemed like with the music in the background. They previewed it before they went to commercial to, to, to hype him coming back out and I just didn't think that was necessary. Um, secondly, the the punk getting heat stuff that worked. I thought it was good. Um, he didn't go over the line. The, the the Paul Heyman stuff. I didn't even think it was tasteless when he faked the heart attack. I just thought it was stupid. It was just downright dumb. And in my opinion, if if I were going to structure that show, I would have Lawler come out and do exactly what he did, and then go to the table, and then maybe go to commercial, and then have Punk come out. Because you know what? Like to be quite honest. You know, granted, Jerry Lawler is a different. You know, he ble- he bleeds the business, like we said before. But you know, you have a you have a life-threatening matter that took place. You know, in front of millions of people, and you know, it, it could it could definitely change your way of thinking. But I wouldn't let Punk come out immediately just like that. He could have still cut the promo on me if I were Jerry Lawler. But that's like that's a real moment right there. Like he was getting choked up. You know what I mean? I just thought the timing wasn't the best with the way they had structured the show. Like I said, if Punk came out afterwards and and cut that promo, I would have been fine with it. You know? But I just I mean I don't know. It was a mixed bag for me. Um, but hopefully it's not. Hopefully it's not going to – but then again, you know what? Eddie Guerrero died of a heart attack, and he was working for the company, and they used that for a storyline. So, I mean, it's fair game at this point, you know? I mean, we can all sit back and be like, oh, my God, they did this. Oh, my God, they did that. You know what I mean? We'll be really shocked when they ever mention Chris Benoit's name on TV again. I'm sorry that I even had to mention it on this show, but we that's, that's the only time I'll be really shocked. You know, other than that, like, anything's fair game with them. Yeah, and I think, you know, as fans, you got I mean, we've been around. I'm not going to pretend even like we're in the business, but we've been around the business. Uh, you know, we've, we've met our fair share of guys. We've, we've been at shows. We've, we've hung out with, with certain guys. And I don't think it can be stressed enough that it's just it, – it, they're different. I mean, not, there's something off about professional wrestlers. Now, and I, I, mean, I don't mean that in a, in a bad way. It's just – you, it's it's a different way of life. 
Um, it's it's just a different mentality, and and to apply uh, your own morality uh, to what goes on on wrestling and what goes on on a weekly live TV show um, is somewhat unfair. Um, you know, I, I can almost picture in my head, you know, Lawler being okay, you know, his first day. Uh, coming back to the office and and almost having a smile on his face and saying, "All right, so how are we going to use this? Like, we got to figure out a way to use this." It's going to be. I mean, here's a guy who you know pulled the wool over America's eyes uh, with the Andy Kaufman uh, situation years ago. And if you've never seen that, uh, go on YouTube right now. Keep listening to the show. Like, go on your computer, open another window, um, and call it up. But uh. Go watch the whole Andy Kaufman, Jerry Lawler thing on David Letterman. And, and Letterman had no idea they were going to do this. And most of America, uh, you know, thought it was for real. And they staged this fight on David Letterman. And for years, people thought it was real. And Lawler and Kaufman worked together on it. Um, this is, you know, Kaufman, uh, Kaufman uh, Lawler's just one of those guys that, you know, he, he's a wrestler through and through. Uh, it was something that, you know, played out, but I just, I, you know, I, I just feel like Lawler, it, it probably was Lawler's idea. Um, so I, I don't have a problem with it. And, and who knows? Again, it's tough to, you know, point the finger of morality uh, on this because who knows how everything played out. Um, you know, for all we know, like Dave, I mean, you're, you're bringing up a good point, like have Lawler have his moment and then, you know, after words, you know, have Punk come out. How do we know, you know, they they didn't plan that, and Lawler said, you know, Lawler said, you know, uh, it would have more punch, it would be more evil if he actually interrupted my speech. So you, you don't know how these things play themselves out. Um, if we want to, like, try and, you know, take the morality part out of it and just let's talk wrestling, per se, um, it, it garnered heat, definitely, and it's it's been tough for them to fully bring Punk into this heel uh, role. Uh, he still gets a lot of cheers and a lot of places he goes. Uh, so as far as that avenue, it was a good thing. Um, I don't know. You're, you're right with the Heyman thing. I don't know how I feel about the Heyman and the faking the heart attack. Um, it, it was it was weird. It was. Uh, but it definitely came off as mean and very mean spirited, and that's what uh, that's what heels are. Uh, so I, I kind of it, it's it's a tough thing to talk about because it it's so controversial. And they were so out there, and you know, like you brought up Guerrero, but like we watched it, like we watched, we experienced this thing that Lawler was going through on live TV. Like we were all watching it with him, and you know, as much as. It's a TV character, essentially, and it's someone that we're all distant from. You know, you watch wrestling. If you're a fan, you watch it every week, and, and you, you grow attached to these guys. And especially, you know, now it being sports entertainment and scripted and everything, and you know that, you know, you know you see these people more as human beings, more than just their characters. And as a fan, you, you go through this heart attack, you know, almost with him, that you feel like you're part of, the WWE family. When you when you look at you know Michael Cole's face, you're kind of feeling close to the emotions that Cole is feeling. Um, 
you know, it's a weird situation. And then lo and behold, they're almost poking fun at at it, and, and it's kind of hitting a fan like right in the gut. Like they're 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 taking something that was emotionally gut wrenching for you as a fan in real life and they're kind of poking fun at it. So I get that, but at the same time, good storytelling makes you feel uneasy. Good storylines, good storytelling makes you squirm in your seat a little bit. Um I, I'm curious and, and you know Post on the Facebook page or, or email us or, or call in at 347-838-9815. We'd love to hear from you. Um, I am curious of all the wrestling fans who were outraged at, at this, um, how many of you are going to stop watching? And that's the big question. Uh, are you going to stop watching wrestling? Were you, were you offended enough by this that you're going to stop watching wrestling? And I would think most people are going to say no. They're going to keep watching. And like I said before, if you want edgy storytelling, well, you're going to have to take, you know, the good with the bad. You're going to have to take the ones that kind of make you feel uneasy, and, and you're going to have to take the ones that you really, really enjoy. That's just the way it is. Uh, but, you know, it happens. And, and, and you know, I, like I said, if it's Lawler's choice, I, I'm I'm okay with it. I'm just uh, I'm curious where exactly they go moving forward with this. Is this it? You know, they just reference a heart attack and that's it. Um, are they going to continue to reference it? Uh, you know, where they go uh, going forward with the heart attack. Um, but ultimately, Dave, whether you agree with the heart attack angle or not, they make making fun of him or not. Uh, ultimately, Lawler being on TV, being involved in a storyline of any sort, being alive and breathing and being a part of the whole thing, that ultimately is is the best thing we saw Monday night. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just just him being out there, you know. I mean, let's let me put it this way: if the man never came back to to do his job again because he felt it was just too much on him physically. Just traveling is traveling is physically enough, you know. I mean, he not only does the commentating, but, you know, he also makes appearances on the weekends for, you know, indie promotions, and he wrestles and stuff like that. If you were to walk away and just say, I've done this for a long time, that's it, you know, I'm done, I would have been okay with that. I mean, it's a testament to him that he wants to come back to work because he loves the wrestling business so much. Um, as far as referencing your, uh, you know, when you when you made reference into, you know, the if we're going to if they're going to continue the the heart attack angle, I think that's going to be used when it's needed, when they, when they need to put heat on a guy. You know what I mean? Because everyone's going to be so sympathetic towards Jerry Lawler. He could never ever be. Um, a heel commentator ever again, in my personal opinion, because this happened and people saw this unfold on live television, um, you know, people are going to grow, like you said, grow attached to him even more. This will probably just be something that they use in spots here and there. Um, If he ever decides to get back into the ring, and if the company ever decides to clear him to get back into the ring, then they're going to go full bore with the whole heart attack angle they'll re-show the clips again and you know the the 
you, like the snoring. You 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 heard you know in the in the audio on that video on Monday night the snoring when he like fell asleep or whatever um, at the at the commentating booth. I mean, just you know they're gonna it's gonna. It's going to get played again no matter what. And in my personal opinion, I really don't think they should go that far, but they will. Like I said, I mean, in the past, I mean, Christ, world-class championship wrestling, they ran a heart attack angle with Fritz von Erich years ago, and it received such negative backlash that they pretended like nothing ever happened. I mean, um, Eddie Graham from Florida Championship Wrestling, he committed suicide. And unfortunately, his son, Mike, recently committed suicide. They ran an angle with that, too. So, I mean, it's, I think, like I said, it's fair game. Vince is going to use it, but it's going to get used in spurts when it's needed, when they need to put a heat on a guy to get him over more, to get more momentum behind the guy. Um, and, you know, in, in today's world, I think it will, I mean, it will work. For me, I could care less either way. Do you think this is something that just coincidentally, you know, he was coming back from the heart attack and they were able to use it in reference to, to CM Punk? Or, or do, you, do you think potentially this could be a sign of edgier storytelling uh, moving forward in the not-too-distant future? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I mean, a week before, there was, a, there was a, you know, an election that took place, and, uh, you know, you didn't really see anything like that um, before the election. So, I mean, I, I think I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, it, it helps that the – what the company's really trying to do, they're really trying to put momentum behind CM Punk um, towards his potential showdown with The Rock, whether it be at the Royal Rumble or WrestleMania. And, th- and this, you know, is this with Jerry Lawler and the heart attack thing, this is a vehicle that's going to help Punk. And I think Lawler, you know, like you said, he's he, he's given the okay, the green light to do it. Nobody forced him. He's his own man. He could say no if he wants to, and I think that they would be okay with it. Um, I think, like you said, it's um, – I mean, it's tough. The whole situation is just uh, – it's tough to uh, wrap your head around it and, and try and figure it all out and how what was planned. And But from what I've read online, between Punk, Heyman, Lawler, Vince – and Mick Foley, this thing was planned weeks in advance. This was going to happen. Um, but I think, coincidentally, it's, you know, in favor for Punk as well as do I see a dear storylines? A little bit. A little bit. But regardless if they go back to the Attitude Era, which most fans are, like, craving for, and we could, we could beat this horse to death, the WWE wrestling in general is always going to get a bad rap in the mainstream public, no matter what they do. Okay, whether whether one of them, one of the McMahons, wants to go for another, you know, Senate run or get involved in politics, they're always going to get a bad rap because they they look at wrestling as white trash, hillbilly. You know what I mean? It's not going to be looked at as, you know, I mean, it's going to be looked at as cool amongst a hardcore audience, but. For the mainstream public, it's always going to be seen as, you know, like blue-collar, white trash, hillbilly television. You know what I mean? So regardless if they go back to that or if they, go to P, if they stay with the PG, that, that's the general consensus amongst the mainstream public. But I, would, I, I do think we'll see just a slight bit edgier storylines going forward. See, what I hate about that is, like, there, there's a happy medium somewhere. It, 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 
it doesn't necessarily. I mean, it, it's weird when people talk like we're in the the PG era and all that others. You know, like, like to me when I look back on the eighties, it was essentially PG. You know, but they they push the envelope every now and again, and and I I would like to see them move more towards that. Like I get it that you know they're. There's a more universal fan base, and they market the kids and all that other good stuff, and, and you know, it, it is what it is. But, you know, like, there's no reason why in a, a blow-off cage match, all right, we throw a little blood into the mix. You know, like, I don't I don't necessarily need, all right, fine, this past Monday night, they were edgy with, with Lawler. They don't need to be edgy every week. And, and you know, and I think... You, you and I are in agreement to this. I, I think when people look back on the Attitude Era, and the Attitude Era was fun. Don't get me wrong. I enjoyed the Attitude Era. You know, that that whole time period of wrestling got me back into wrestling because I stopped watching in the late 80s, early 90s when the uh, Duke the Dumpster Drosies of the world were were dominating the, the, the television. I just, it got way too cartoony for me. Um and, and right now, wrestling, as it's PG, to me, it's not as cartoony as it was in that era where you had uh, the dumpster and they went through the, the phase where everyone was having pets and all that other nonsense. And I stopped watching for a while. Um, you, there's a happy medium somewhere. You, you can be PG and push the envelope sometimes. You, you can do what you did last week on, on Raw and maybe this week is a, is a little benign. And then... Next week, uh, you know, they, they, they change it up again. I mean, it, it doesn't have to be, um, you know, hey, we're, we're going full on into the Attitude Era. Because the Attitude Era had its issues, too. Um, you know, there were times in the Attitude Era where I was sitting back watching going, oh, you know, now you've gone too far. Like, now it's just, you know, you're doing stuff for, for the sake of, you know, you're being edgy for the sake of being edgy. Um, you know, there were times during the Attitude Era where I would sit there watching Raw thinking, all right, when's Austin coming down? Because every Raw has to end with a stunner. Um, so there were times where, you know, for me, was not working the Attitude Era. And, you know, people look back on that era with, with, with rose-colored glasses thinking that everything was so amazing. And granted, it may have been better than the era right now, but I don't think we need to, you know, have a three-hour Raw and have three hours of, you know, edgy, edgy TV and, and, you know, being sexually explicit and, and, you know, being overly violent in every match, having some blood in it and, and you know, chairs and barbed wire. and all, Like, I, I don't think we need that. Uh, I just think there needs to be kind of a, a happy medium. And I, and I think for wrestling fans, that's why not only the match in and of itself, but that's why the, the Bobby Roode, uh, James Storm feud and their, their blow-off match worked so well for a lot of fans. It was a good match, but it was a good build, good storytelling, and then you have that bloodbath in the blow-off match. You know, TNA, you know, they don't use blood all the time, but they, they use it effectively. Uh, so I would like to see wrestling, you know, WWE move in, in a direction where they, uh, you know, they they, they they're kind of like pushing the envelope a bit, but it doesn't have to be the case for every match. You know, promos a little edgier, but you don't have to, you know, you don't have to be banging a dead girl in a coffin. You know, there's there's a way to kind of 
keep it somewhere, you know, PG-ish, so to speak. But I don't necessarily need the WWE to go full on, you know, jump into the pool of, of attitude and, and go right back to, to attitude era type programming. I, I'd like to see more of a, a happy medium so they don't blow their load, so they don't burn it out because that's essentially what the attitude era did. I mean, they just, once you push the envelope too far, uh, you got no place else to go. And and then what happened was then there's that tremendous backlash and you get the the PG product that we've had for a few years now. Um, I'd like to see a happy medium. Your your thoughts on on getting more edgy in the attitude era, Dave? The attitude era, like you said, I mean, like I I remember, like I'll, I'll remember some. I mean, Gary, don't get me wrong, there were some fun moments in the attitude era, and I I enjoyed it, you know. And you saw a new crop of talent come in, and you know. I mean, obviously, the ascension of The Rock and Steve Austin and Mick Foley and DX. And, I mean, like, for instance, let me let me think of some moments here for a second. Oh, when Yamaguchi's son from Kayentai tried to chop off Val Venus's penis, and then they brought out John Bobbitt, who, like, I don't know what he had to do with it, but I guess he was, like, giving Val advice on not having a full, regular penis anymore. I don't know why they brought him on board. And then there was, I mean, that was just ridiculous. I mean, granted, Yamaguchi's son was funny the way he talked, but like, you know, I just thought like, oh, this is ridiculous. Like, really? Like, he's got a sword? Like, weapons in wrestling were like chairs and baseball bats and lead pipes and like, you might as well just bring a gun out and shoot somebody, you know what I mean? Like, oh wait, Brian Pillman already did that. And then, <laughs> and then you had like the Undertaker, he like crucified Steve Austin, had him hanging off the top of the stage. I mean, just like, he, he sacrificed a guy and stabbed him in the heart on the stage, and was it one of the Godwins, I think it was? And he changed his name, and they—I mean, there was just some some wacky stuff that like that that came out during that era. I mean, you know, that really—I mean—went too far. You know, I remember my, when I was a I was a teenager. My brothers were younger. My brothers were into watching wrestling too, and they'd watch this stuff. And I'd cringe when I'd look over at my father because he would just shake his head and he would like, he knew we loved it so much, but he knew it was so wrong for us to watch it during that time frame. And then, like, my brother told my father to basically to suck it one time, and I knew that was, like, the end of it right there. So, like, Nitro was on most of the time in, in our household because it wasn't as edgy. Um, but, uh,. Edgier storylines, I, I I do agree with you. I think they need I think they need to be more edgy. I think somebody needs to come out and like I mean everyone's waiting for another CM Punk pipe bomb moment from somebody to come out and like shake things up a bit. But I think overall everybody in that company everybody needs to shake it up. The writers, the the, the talent, it's just it's too like it's too structured for for me at least. You know, like I, I don't know. I just I look at things differently watching it now. Um, I mean, it's still fun to watch. I still get into it. You know, I, I still hope to see certain matchups and where guys are going to go and, and their position on the card. But things need to get shaken up just a little bit. And I think with this, with with um, Punk being on top and Ryback ascending now, I think we're going to start to see a little bit of that. I think I think Ryback is eventually going to. I'm not saying it's going to happen tomorrow. I'm not going to say it's going to happen six months from now. But I think Ryback is going to – they're grooming him to be the guy. They see they, I mean, the, the, as long as the audience keeps chanting, feed me more, 
Vince sees dollar signs, and I think you'll see. I think you'll see like a, a Goldberg type fan base with Ryback. You know, eighteen to twenty-five year old kids that you know can get into this guy because he's not like a goody two-shoe. He's just some big badass that just beats people up and enjoys doing it. And I think that's going to help in part with the edge of your storylines. And you might get some of that audience back. And when you get some of that audience back, then you do a little bit more edge of your storylines. I'm not saying go full on attitude error, but I think it. I think it needs to happen. I'm sorry, I think it needs to happen. Everybody sounds like sounds the same when they cut promos. I mean, Kofi, you, you can't. I could close my eyes. Kofi Kingston can cut a promo, and I'll think it was, you know, Zack Ryder or whoever. They all sound the same, and and they gotta they gotta they gotta let those guys learn on their own. It's true because like those promos, like that's why that it's that's the reason why the what chant survives, because <laughs> audience because all the promos have the same cadence and they're able to jump in the 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 what because the audience knows when the pauses are coming. But um, we are we're gonna go to the phones uh, right now. Like we have a full bank of calls, so everyone be patient uh, right now. But we are privileged because we have uh, up and coming cruiserweight. Uh, High-flying sensation uh, is on the line right now, Sebastian Cruz. Sebastian, how are you doing tonight? I'm fantastic. How are you doing, brother? Doing all right. You know, we're we're just talking about the uh, Jerry Lawler heart attack and, and them using it this past week on Monday Night Raw um, and it being kind of an edgy storyline. As, as someone in the business, did you like them using that uh, in a storyline? Do you think it, it's pushing it a little too far? Um, you know what? If Lawler was comfortable enough to bring that, you know what I mean like anything you do, anything that's brought up to you, you you're allowed to say no. You may not, you may feel pressured to say yes, but you're allowed to say no. And I know that somebody with that kind of tenure won't hesitate to do something, you know, say no to something that makes him uncomfortable. And if he thinks it's good for the business, then you know that's you know that's his call. That's what he wants to go with. You know what I mean? So. uh you know, is it is it too edgy? Is it too you know over the top? No, I don't think it's too edgy or too over the top. You know, you got guys like you know you have times where you got Edge and Lita and underneath a sheet and a bed, you know, on <laughs> on TV. So I really don't think it's too edgy. There's a lot more things that we've seen, uh, not just in wrestling but in regular day life that you know mentioning a heart attack, you know, taking the that effect is not really. I don't, I don't think it made that much of an impact. No, right, well, let's let's get into you and in your career. Um, you know, you're, you're doing the indie scene. Um, you know, I know your nickname actually is is the Koki Kid. Uh, where where did you get that nickname? I uh, <laughs> um, Koki is uh, a frog native only to Puerto Rico. Um, it's a tiny little frog, actually, maybe about the size of a cricket, and uh, it's actually relatively like similar to a cricket in almost every sense of the fact that uh, you know, I mean, like one cricket. Uh, by itself, you know, it's just kind of a nuisance, but all together at night, it's kind of, you know, majestic. It's the same like that on the island. You know, one little frog is just kind of annoying, but at night, you just hear, you know, thousands of them during night at the island, and it's like, you know what I mean? It's, it sounds pretty much like a cricket, but it's like, <laughs> but just imagine thousands of little tiny frogs making that noise. So uh, it's 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 our national animal, you know. It's a it's a representation of our people, you know. Everyone knows the frog, you know, and uh, we 
we represent it proudly, and uh, I hope I'm doing everyone uh, a justice by doing so as well. I thought, did you did you pick the nickname, or did someone uh, bestow the name on you? <laughs> Actually, my father came up with it. He uh, he he comes up with the cheesiest and dumbest things, <laughs> and uh, he just he's like, that's it. I got. He's he's stuck in like the old 1970s and stuff like that. We'll call you the Koki Kid. <laughs> Someone heard it one time and it stuck, and I, uh, I don't regret it. It's 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 a it's a cute little name, but uh, you know that's how it came about. But that's cheesiness. Wow, Well, um, you know you have a very exciting, uh, high flying kind of style, a uh, very uh, kinetic, uh, energetic in the ring. Uh, what were your influences as far as de- developing your style? Um, you know, I, I've, a lot of that is just really my personality. Um, I'm like, it doesn't matter if it's Sunday at 6 o'clock or it's Monday morning, you know, any day of the week, uh, all the time. I like to think that uh, I've, I've suffered a lot in my life, and I've, and I've lost a lot of people, and I've been through a lot. So I know that, um, you know, enjoying the day, you know, the day for what it is. You know, carpe diem is one of my biggest things, you know, seize the day, because tomorrow's not promised. I may not be here tomorrow. You may not be here tomorrow. So you might as well enjoy today for what it is. You know, don't be reckless. Not you know, don't people have to take 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 that out of context. But uh, you know what I mean. Like enjoy the day for what it is right now. And um, you know, I my big influence with Eddie Guerrero for me, like it took me a while to even like realize that why I liked him so much. But it's not because you know we're Latino and we're you know we got that you know fire and all that stuff. But he had that love for just life. You know, the zest for life that you could just feel and love for the business, that you could just, you know, you felt it through the TV, you know what I mean? And I'd like to think that I bring that to the table, and hopefully, you know, I make somebody who's watching me, or, or a, you know, fellow wrestler that watches me, you know, like, love the business, love life. And that's that's really the main message I try to get across. Sebastian, I got a question for you. Um, you were in the ring with, uh, you, you had a match on WWE television, uh, I think about a year ago, with Mark Henry. Uh, yep. What were your thoughts? What were your thoughts? Uh, first of all, being on WWE television, and second of all, being in the ring with a man the size of Mark Henry um, going into that match. <laughs> um, that would have been. Uh, I think it's my third time there. Um, not. Uh, it was only my. It was my second time in, on TV. I had originally done uh, a small little vignette um, back in 2009, my very first time there. Um, when it would, they had an ECW brand, and uh, I, I played a, uh, a janitor. Um, uh, I'll link you guys to that link. But uh, that was my first match, actually, against Mark Henry. And <laughs> to be honest, I, I was more nervous about my first time and doing being a janitor than I was being a wrestler against Mark Henry. Uh, I don't know. I just I I got to the the gorilla position. I remember both times I was shaking so hard that literally I like it was hurting, like my back like it was gonna just snap in half. I just I couldn't stop shaking. But I, you know, you can't let all those other guys you know see you in that kind of a state. I mean, you got like a professional. So I'm mm-hmm. ready to you know make my entrance. And uh, sure enough, as soon as I get out there though, I like I was anywhere else. Like I just I was going to work. You know what I mean? I played the part. I did what I you know I, I went in there. Cool as a feather, you know what I mean? I just got in there, and Mark was Mark's tremendous talent, and 
it was it was a breeze, man. I felt like uh, I felt more comfortable doing that, like I should be doing that night in, night out, than I do on the independent circuit. To be honest, I mean, uh, even in the locker rooms are the same. Like that's for me, I feel more comfortable in the WWE locker room than I do in most of the independents. Now, what's the reason behind being more comfortable in the locker room per se? Is it is it with uh, is it the atmosphere? Is it like politics? Is it just certain guys that you know you? You, you like to work with or you don't like to work with? What are your reasons behind that statement? I think uh, I think a lot of that is um, not so much with the newer kids because the, on, on WWE, you know, what I mean they're you know, I mean they're fighting for a spot and you know there's always cutthroat you know attitudes everywhere, independent or WWE. But a lot of those guys are a unit. You know, what I mean they're a team. They realize that that they're a team as opposed to the independent circuit. You know, a lot of guys preach that their companies are family and they're, you know, we're all one people, you know. But in the end, you know, there's everybody else out for themselves, trying to make themselves the top dog, trying to make the most money, trying to get ahead of somebody else. Whereas in WWE, a lot of those guys, you know, mid-card and up, are so, you mean, they're so intertwined in, in their lives together. You know what I mean? The independents, these guys see themselves once a month, you know, once a month, these guys, you know, at a particular company, and that's all their allegiance to that person is. No, these guys see each other all the time. Every week, you know what I mean, twice, three times a week, you know what I mean? So they're, they're family, you know what I mean? And I, I felt you feel that vibe, you know what I mean? So uh, that's why I felt very comfortable because a lot of the new guys going up there, you know, extra work there, you know, so shaken and scared, you know, they don't want to talk, you know, they're afraid to get, you know, the, a bad name for, you know, being rowdy or, 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 you know, trying to be too comfortable. But, uh, you know, these guys took, you know, took me right in and uh, I had a few friends there already. So, uh, it was, you know, it was very comfortable for me. These guys treated me like one of their own and, and, you know, they treated me like a family. So, you know, for me, that's, that's, that's the reasoning behind that for me. There's just too much in the independence where, Everybody's out to for themselves, and and rightfully so. I understand the attitude, but you know, I'll pick a WWE locker room for that purpose uh, over independence. Just curious, you know, now because you wrestle a lot with us on on NWA on Fire, and you get how important is it to you uh, to be seen now uh, on a TV program, and and for people to uh, you know get to know like all your talents uh, in the ring. Oh, it's tremendous, man. I, uh, you know, before I used to just link people to YouTube and stuff, but um, now it's like I get I get recognition just from the, the TV series itself. Like <laughs> people tell me about what's going on, on TV before I even I get to say it, see it myself. So um, you know, what I mean, I'm always so busy, and then it's it, it, it's amazing. You know, marketing is amazing. TV is amazing. You know, the internet is it's a wonder, and uh, just to be on TV every week, it's like, it blows my mind, you know, to even think that I could be on TV. I was some kid in, you know, high school thinking about, dreaming about wrestling, and now I'm on TV every week, you know, people are talking about me, people are buzzing about me, and uh, it's very humbling, you know, uh, to think about it that way, and, and to think where it can go. Uh, the NWA has just been a tremendous home for me, and they've done so many tremendous things to help my career. What does it mean to you, like, just those letters, like the fact that you are wrestling under the, the N-Way <laughs> banner? Uh, you know, it, it's like, in talking to you, it seems like you have a tremendous respect for the business. Um, you know, being a, a regular in uh, the NWA, NWA on fire, um, what are your thoughts just being able to wrestle under that banner? Oh, I'll tell you what. Um, the first NWA promotion I ever worked for was um, NWA uh, Pro East. 
and uh, at that time, I think it was only the second show I'd been to, and I think there was like the, the split between the TNA, NWA, and uh, the NWA belt had just come back home, and they had the belt there, and to me, I was like, oh my God, that, that's the NWA World Championship, you know what I mean? Like that, you know, guys like Harley Race have held that, like you know, Ric Flair. It's like it's sitting right there, and uh, you know, I got to hold it, you know, and I marked out for a little bit. You know, it was only what a year and a half in the business. I'm holding the NWA World Heavyweight Championship, and I'm like, ah, this is crazy. You know what I mean? I, I remember. I mean, I wasn't one of those kids who grew up watching it since you know, I was a kid. I think I started watching when I was like 11 or 12. But you know, backtracking into the history of professional wrestling, you know, NWA was like. You know, it's like the upper class echelon of of the professional wrestling world. You know what I mean, you've got your you know your cool groove, you got this that, but this was like you know your your white collar, you know, your guys who you know the top of the class right there. You know, they're top dogs. It, like NWA is history. You know what I mean? Like like it it, it personified, and it, it just it's so classical. And for me to be a part of the NWA and to just know that I'm leaving my name and a, and a mark in the NWA history is, it, it's unreal. You know what I mean? I try, <laughs> I think about it all the time, and uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm so happy to be a part of the family, and NWA has treated me like that, like a family. That's awesome. It's great to hear uh, that, you know, it's you obviously have a lot of respect for the business. Um, you know, uh, important question, um, you know, during your matches, uh, when you get the upper hand, uh, when you're you kind of getting the crowd going, uh, you know, I've seen you quite a number of times. You uh, bust into a salsa, a little salsa. <laughs> um, who does it better, Victor Cruz or Sebastian Cruz? <laughs> I, um, I, I <laughs> he's probably got a little more salsa experience than I am, but I I, I think I'd definitely take the dancing any day. I might, I've actually. Um, very practiced, and uh, I actually used to do um, lyrical hip hop for work. So um, I'm actually I'm, I'm actually a very very good dancer. So uh, yeah, he may he may have a good little two step on the salsa, but uh, he he ain't got the flair that I got. Wow. Okay. Wow. <laughs> a lot of multifaceted individuals. It was great uh, hearing from you. Um, just before we let you go, uh, if people want to see you out there live, uh, where can they check you out? Uh, you can check my website out. Um, it's www.sebastiancruz.webs.com. Uh, I, I really should update it more, but uh, you know you can find out where I'm at there, or look at my Facebook. Uh, you can look at me up, Sebastian Cruz, or in parentheses there, it's got Bobby Howard. Uh, I don't know how people search me anymore, but um, you can also get the hyperlink. It's like Facebook.com/slash Recon Prodigy87. That's R I C A N. P R O D I G Y eight seven, or you can uh, follow me on Twitter. Uh, it's W W E underscore Bobby Howard B O B B Y Howard. If you can't spell it, well, you don't deserve to follow me. Um, what else? <laughs> I've got a YouTube channel, but all that stuff's like interlinked. So you know, it's, if you can't figure it out one way or another, you know. Well, it was great talking to you. Thanks for for being on and. Uh... Yeah, uh, you know, go to the Ken Reedy Show uh, Facebook page, Ken Reedy Show, uh, Facebook.com slash Ken Reedy Show. Feel free to post some of your uh, YouTube and, and links right there so people uh, can get a sense of, of what you're bringing to the table. Uh, you know, I've I've been privileged to see you wrestle a number of times, and you do bring uh, 
a lot of excitement and flair into uh, the ring, and people really enjoy watching you. And uh, it's a pleasure having you on, and hope to have you on again real soon. I thank you very much, man. I really do appreciate those words. I mean, uh, to be honest, I. If I could, if I could just give one word of advice to anyone, uh, any professional wrestler or aspiring professional wrestler, the key to success doesn't matter how many hours you put in the gym, how much training you have, doesn't matter what you do in life. I think the true key to success, to being success as a professional wrestler, love it. If you don't, if, if you don't absolutely 100% love it, it will never show. If you love it like I do, you know, obviously I hope that it, you know, it shows. If you love it. You can't go wrong. So thank you so much. I really appreciate this. Thank you. Great, great words. Thanks a lot. We'll talk to you real soon. All right. Well, there you have it. Sebastian Cruz, a good guy, you know, and it's true. I mean, you know, some people like the the cruiserweight type. Some people like the the heavyweights. Um, but he does. I mean, I've seen him wrestle a few times. Uh, he genuinely enjoys being there. I mean, he's one of those guys that. Uh, um, you know, he just, you can tell he loves the business, and it's cool to watch him. And, and you know, on, on the indie scene, I mean, you never know what kind of crowd you're going to get, but crowds really take to him. Uh, they really enjoy his style. Uh, he brings an energy in there. I know, you know, working with uh, the Savoldi family, uh, Mario Savoldi Jr., his son uh, has a uh, Sebastian Cruz shirt that uh, there have been days where he just refuses to take it off for the entire day. Um, so people really dig him. He brings a, a nice style. So, uh, you know, all the things he has, Facebook, his website, check him out. Go uh, see Sebastian Cruz. And we're going to run out to the phones right now because there have been some people who are being really patient out there. And uh, I think this is Tony. So let's go on. Uh, Tony, are you there? Oh, yeah, I'm here. How you doing? How are you, Tony? I'm doing all right. I'm doing pretty good. Uh, so, yeah, that was actually a pretty cool interview you just had there. Um like I said, you know, like you're saying, you know, guys on the uh, on the indie scene, they you know, they're, they're definitely there because they definitely, you know, that their heart is definitely in the business. You know, I mean, guys like, you know, guys you mentioned, you know, because I've been to a good number of indie shows too, and um, you know, the, the work rate has been really, you know, from has been you know, really good on a lot of them. Like the last one we went to a, about a month ago, that the one at Poughkeepsie, that was really awesome. Uh, but it's you know like. The, the thing is, you know, it's like even in WWE, sometimes you know, it was like a person, you know, like a, a particular talent might even have, you know, like their heart might be in the business, but they just don't get booked right because WWE doesn't know what they're doing with it. You know, you know, like them talking about, you know, like a lower level, you know, like a low level guy, like maybe you know, like the Kofi Kingston or whatever. You know, it's like they have the heart for it, but sometimes they might not, you know, might not let, let it come out. You know, like because even um, if I can, like you were saying too, you know, it's like the the scripting, you know, uh, the overdoing of, the, of that, you know, it's like when they, you know, like back in the 80s and even now, and, the, and the, it was all, you know, it was it was all bullet points, you know, it's like if they, if they did that, I, I think the I think the promos would be a lot more uh, more uh, entertaining to hear than they are than, you know, than they are now, because like, uh, they, like you were saying, you know, it's like, you just, it's like, okay, here comes, you know, it's like you could pretty much tell when, who's going to say what, you know, and, and again, it, it you know, it, with with all the scripting, you know, the over scripting, it, it gets kind of stale. It's like the, the guys don't really have a chance to get to get over with the crowd. You know, it's like if it, if it goes if it gets over, great, and then if it doesn't, it's like the heat's on them. Even though they didn't really, you know, it's like it was written for them. Yeah, I don't know if I don't know if I'm making any sense here, but that's right. And and, and it's it's tough for like some some guys because you hear that, you know, you hear Steve Austin do his his stuff on, you know. 
you know, I just broke out and did my own thing, and and that's what made it. But at the same time, you know, you could break out and do your own thing. You could get in trouble for it. So it's do you, do you just try and keep your job and do what you're told, or do you try and take a chance and and do something different? I mean, it's not easy. But you know, honestly, I think Cruz brings up a good point. Like, if you love it, if you if you truly love it, then you wait and find your spot, you know, and you don't pitch and moan about it, and you just you, you kind of go in, you do your job, you do you do what you do to the best of your ability, and hopefully uh, it's recognized and and you keep moving uh, onward and upward. So it's a you know it's a tough tough business, and it's tough for to get the right you know it's weird because it's tough to get noticed, it's tough for the right people to notice you, and then it's yeah. tough for the right people to use you correctly once they've noticed you. Uh, so it's it's really difficult to, to finally make it. But, you know, again, if you love it, though, you know, you'll, you'll find your way, you'd like to think. But uh, we are in a Survivor Series mode uh, this evening. Uh, just curious, uh, Tony, what are you looking forward to tonight? Uh, i got to go with the elimination match. And, you know, that's, that's, you know, that's the uh, – that was what Survivor Series used to be. The whole card, you know, used to be. Yeah. Matches were all of you know. It's like I really wish they go back to that. I I really miss those days. Dave and I were talking before the show. And we said the same thing. Like just make it something different. You know, we're it, it's cool. You're in agreement. I I would do. Look, if you have to have a title match, fine. Do like, you know, three or four traditional. And I hate the fact they have to call it a traditional Survivor Series match. Yeah, it's <laughs> That's what it was. A couple of Survivor Series matches and maybe one title match and, and leave it at that. Just to kind of set it apart a little bit. I, I agree with you. I, I don't like it, but I, I do like I think this match has a lot of potential to be uh, very entertaining. Um, a, a small pay-per-view, uh, but yeah, I think uh, when we look at this, uh, I'm curious if they're going to uh, you know put the Miz over. Is he going to win tonight? Or at some point later on, are we going to see a Ziggler cash in? Um, you know, and, you know, it, it's a lot of intrigue actually in this match. So definitely a good match to uh, look forward to. What are your thoughts on the triple threat match? Uh, I don't know. I just kind of mixed feelings about. It. I mean, the way they built up to it at the end of Raw was just kind of like you know, Punk and Ryback or uh, Cena and Ryback. You know, just having the tug of war for the belt, and then you know, it's like Punk was like tooting me. I was like. He didn't get it, you know. He didn't get in the ring and like you know, like snatch the belt or whatever. You know, so he's like he just stood out, just stood outside and was like, you know, it's like, you know, he was, I don't know. Sometimes the way they've been booking Punk now is too much like they're. It's a, you know, he's become like a generic WWE heel where he's got to like be like too like you know, it's like too afraid to do anything. You know, it's like. Uh, but as far as the match goes, uh, I mean, it should be good. I mean, I I, I hope to keep the belt on Punk because you know, I, like I said, Cena uh, Cena doesn't need it. And um, I don't know if Ryback's ready for it yet. Uh, and even you know, like they might even they could even do something where you know it's like uh, Cena and Ryback are you know like, there's some kind of tension moment or whatever with the two of them, and then Punk winds up you know uh, getting the pin on Cena from it. And I don't know I don't know if you know like maybe you know they could do a Cena Ryback match. I don't know if like maybe a TLC or I don't know if they'd I don't know if they'd go to try to build that to WrestleMania. But um, I don't know I I, I kind of sense a Cena Ryback match coming out of this. That's not a bad idea, to be honest. And then you pull Ryback and Cena out of the title picture. Uh, you know, maybe it, you know. I know we got another paper, but we got to start building to, uh, you know, perhaps how this comes out. Uh, 
Punk Rock at a uh, Royal Rumble. So uh, that could be interesting. Um, Tony, we're kind of up against it, so I'm going to let you go. Uh, so we had some technical difficulties this week, but uh, be sure to get your blogs up on the website. Tony is the best blogger in the business. Uh, gets our uh, blogs on all the, the TV shows. Uh, and goes on thekenreedyshow.com, so be sure to check it out. Uh, Tony, always a pleasure. Thanks for giving us a call. All right. Um, all right. Take it in, man. Let's stick with the phones. I think this is Justin online. Justin, are you there? Hi, Ken. Hey, Justin. How you doing? Very good. Are you excited for Survivor Series? Oh, yes, I am. Glad to hear. What are you excited about? Well, te- technically, I think Buffy is going to win, man, because she kicks on butt. Did you say Buffy? Yes, I did. Are we talking about Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Oh, yes, sir. You know what, Justin? I, well, I love when you call because you keep me on my toes. <laughs> I know, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> Quite the modest one. <laughs> we got a triple threat match tonight between CM Punk, John Cena, and Ryback. Who do you think is going to win? I think it's going to be John Cena. Really? Is that where you think they're going to go with this? Oh, yeah. Who do you think he pins, CM Punk or Ryback? He pins uh, Ryback, I think. You think he's going to pin Ryback? Oh, yeah. It's a pretty gutsy call. And Dave, he's so funny. <laughs> Thank you, Justin. You're welcome, Dave. <laughs> and Ken, you are so totally awesome. Thank you. I was going for totally awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you really are, man. Like you, you call in and you just you're, you're just this this great. No, we just had Sebastian Cruz on, and you should check him out. He's he's a wrestler. You could go to YouTube and check out Sebastian Cruz. Uh, you know, when you talk about just he was talking about loving what he does and loving being in the ring and. You know, you're one of those fans, you just, you love wrestling, and when you call in, it just comes out that, you know, it's wrestling, and maybe sometimes we all take it a little too seriously, and you just kind of, you refocus this show, you ground us all, and you you show us that, you know, wrestling should be all about just uh, having fun, and having a few laughs, and just being happy about it, and, and loving wrestling, so we appreciate you calling every week. So keep it up. Are you going to watch Survivor Series tonight? Oh, yeah. Ken, you should be president. (laughs) (laughs) You're funny. Awesome, Justin. Thank you so much for the call. We'll talk to you. We don't don't have a show next week, so we'll talk to you in two weeks. Sure. And, Dave, you know what? You should be on on television, man. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. If I get on TV, I'll make sure you come with me. How about that? Well, I'll think about it. Oh, you think about it? Okay. <laughs> You're funny. I try. Talk to you later. Huh? We'll talk to you later, man. All right, Ken. Looks like they're having a party over there. <laughs> Do you hear that? <laughs> I heard a shot of Jack Daniels when I hung the phone up, so I don't know what what's going on over there, but... uh. 
Obviously. They're having a Survivor Series of alcoholics over there, I guess. <laughs> wow. Yeah, you know, again, it's it's that, that message, you know, he, and Justin loves it. He loves his wrestling, and uh, that's cool, and we love it, too. That's why we come here each and every week and, and talk about it, and uh, it was great having Sebastian on, talking Survivor Series, hitting a gutsy call by uh, Justin there, uh, thinking Cena's going to pin Ryback, which would be uh, very interesting and uh, shocking, to say the least. Um, I, I don't know if I see that coming, but when we talk about storyline and and changing things up uh that'd be something that i don't think anybody expects so uh let's see if justin's right uh with that but uh we have to um we're going to go we're going to take a break uh we got our news break coming up we had we have fred rubenstein who is the coo of nwa wrestling and there's been a lot of upheaval in the world of nwa wrestling and we're going to get him on on the other side of the news break. So all you guys on hold there, can't tell you how much I appreciate you being there. We're going to get you ASAP, so just be patient. But we're going to give Fred enough time to let us know, you know, exactly the the future and what direction uh, the NWA will be going in. So just be patient. We'll get you on the line. But right now, we're going to take a quick break with the Dave Five Wrestling News Report. Thank you very much, Ken. This is the Day Five News Report, only heard on the Ken Reedy Show. I begin my news week with a report from WrestleZone.com, as it's been rumored for months that WWE developmental talents Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose are expected to be called up to the main roster soon. WWE creative are looking for ways to bring both individuals to television as company officials feel both Rollins and Ambrose are the top prospects in the WWE's developmental territory and future main event level talent. Some say that with injuries and the lack of talent playing into factor, maybe now is a good time to debut both of these potential superstars. In a follow-up story of a few weeks back, TNA personality and WWE Hall of Famer Hulk Hogan was denied a temporary injunction in federal court this week against Gawker.com, meaning the gossip site can continue to show clips of the now world-famous sex tape. The judge cited Hogan's personal life being displayed through his reality television show years back as one of the reasons for the refused injunction. Speaking of uh, talent, TNA star AJ Styles has signed a publishing deal with VIP Inc. to write an autobiography covering his life both in and outside of the ring. Considering he's got enough time on his hands in the next year because he's not going to be competing for the TNA World title, I could see why he's doing this. To read more about this, go to VIPIncPublishing.com, Inc. spelled I-N-K. In some breaking news, this morning, it was reported by the Wrestling Observer that former WWE superstars John Morrison and Molina were reportedly involved in a domestic violence dispute over the weekend. Police were said to have been called. However, there were no, there's no more information available at this time. When we can, can confirm this news and hear more details about the situation, we'll be sure to inform you on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash The Ken Reedy Show. And in our final story, an inspirational story, it's been confirmed by various 
news outlets, and the individuals themselves. Diamond Dallas Page and Jake the Snake Roberts are filming a reality television show documenting DDP's training with Jake the Snake Roberts for one last run in the wrestling business. Roberts has moved in with DDP to a home in Atlanta, Georgia, and has been reportedly utilizing DDP's yoga to get in shape for his final swan song in the wrestling business. The show is still in the early production stages, and there's no timetable as to when the show will be releasing on the air or if it's been picked up by a network. But that should be a pretty interesting uh, television show, to say the least. Kids, Tuesday nights, 7.30 p.m., WPAA.TV, the top rope, cable access television, best show in Connecticut. Check it out, WPAA.TV, the top rope, Tuesday night, 7.30. And, of course, YouTube, The Gun Show, El Rotundo, Bob Arian, Steve Off. All kinds of crazy shit goes on that show. Check it out, YouTube slash Steve Off. And there you have it, the Day 5 News Report, only heard here on the Ken Reedy Show. Ken, back to you. Stuff, news, wrestling. And, you know, being a fan growing up, I've been watching, you know, and hearing the stories over the years, uh, I wish to... Uh, uh, Jake the Snake Roberts and uh, working with DDP and uh, you know I, honestly I don't care if he has another run in the wrestling ring I mean I'd love to see him again but I, I just hope he finally exercises all the demons that have plagued him his whole life and hopefully uh, this is a good step forward for Jake the Snake Roberts and uh, you know we here at the Ken Reedy Show wish him all the best um but now we're going to get right into it because we have him on the line, uh, the uh, COO, Vice President of NWA Wrestling. We have Fred Rubenstein. Fred, are you there? I am there. I was just listening with great interest when you were talking about Jake the Snake Roberts, Ken. Worry, were you a fan? Have you worked with Jake? Well, I worked with Jake, and, and quite frankly, I, I sort of had to get over my, my great anger at Jake uh, years ago. I'm going back about 11 or 12 years ago. A series of pay-per-views started, and it was supposed to be one every quarter. It ended up being one and done. You may remember the famous Heroes of Wrestling. Uh, I I was one of the referees in Biloxi, Mississippi, and uh, thank you to Jake, the fellow uh, who was the... uh, financier and promoter of it was just furious because the way the show went off the air the final match was king kong bundy against jake the snake roberts and jake uh, who's what's the word they like to use demons which i think is a horrible word it's a choice you make a choice you're an adult okay take responsibilities and don't blame invisible gremlins uh jake stood there with his famous snake mimicking a phallic symbol and the fellow who was an attorney out of washington dc was just totally totally blown away by this it's not what he wanted to portray spent a lot of money we were left with six minutes of uplink time didn't come cheap and the heroes of wrestling ended up being one and done and uh, a lot of the people that were associated uh, with that broadcast my being one of them 
were absolutely furious. That wasn't any demon. That was Jake Roberts who did that. But that's not what we're here to talk about. No, it's, it's well, so well. We're going to get into the NWA stuff in a minute, but just curious because the 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 world of, of pro wrestling obviously is is plagued. Uh, you know, often you hear a lot of uh, stars, uh, wrestlers struggling with uh, substance abuse issues. Um, is it, is it symptomatic of, of the business? Does the business produce this? Or, uh, as you're saying, is it ultimately just a, a choice that, that people make? I don't believe the business produces anything, okay? There are a lot of uh, industries, a lot of vocations, avocations that are full of stress. Yeah, they cause pain. There's emotional stress. You're away from your family. You make a choice. Okay, let's let's cut the crap. This is 2012. Take responsibility for your action. Stop blaming the demons. Stop waiting for somebody else to send you to rehab. You want to be called an adult, then act like an adult. You make your choice. You suffer the consequences of your choice. That's the responsibilities in everyday life. Okay, I'm 63 years old. I was in Vietnam, as you might remember. I was there at the World Trade Center. I didn't go into a bottle. I didn't go into a pill container. That was my choice. I don't, the other people that do it, they make that choice. But stop blaming it on demons. Stop being a victim. If you want to blame somebody, get a mirror. Wow, you, you, you really don't bullshit, do you? I tell it the way it is. I don't mollycoddle people anymore. Okay, I don't write people off either. If somebody gets something, alcoholism, it's a recognized illness. No matter what my feelings are, that's the law of the land. I respect it. I'm just sick and tired of people playing, playing victim. All right? We've got enough people out there, whether it's a result of the recent storm here on the East Coast, whether a result of Katrina, other natural disasters, the tsunami over in Japan. Stand up. If you've got enough courage to go out there and get in a wrestling ring, on a football field, on a baseball diamond, then, then take it out of the gimmick and put it into your own life and hitch your trousers up and be an adult. And and stop looking for somebody to blame other than yourself. Damn it! Wow. Well, this is this is the kind of I guess no BS leadership uh, that we we kind of need moving forward with the the NWA. Um, let's let's get more into that. Uh, so sure. Recent, you know, upheaval in in the NWA lawsuit, uh, new power regime uh, in the national company. Could you just uh, give our audience uh, just an explanation of, you know, what happened there? What does this new power structure mean for, for the uh, NWA? Uh, what is the, the three of you, uh, what your roles are, and uh, just where the company is moving forward? Yes, let me start at the beginning. I met R. Bruce Tharp and Chris Ronquillo for the first time. On October 7th of 2011, that was at the NWA's annual business meeting in Charlotte, North Carolina. I, didn't, I wouldn't know them if I had sat next to them on the subway prior to that date. Uh, as a matter of fact, when they came in front of the group for membership, and they know this, it was my original intention not to support them uh, because the member who had been excommunicated, my friend Ken Taylor in Dallas, Texas, uh, while they did not have a role in that, Ken's leaving the NWA was not murder. It was pure suicide. Uh, 
because uh, he violated the consent decree, which for those who don't know it, was a voluntary agreement entered into the NWA long before I had any stake in it uh, on the subject of blackballing. You can't solicit others or expect others or send out a letter in your capacity as a director or officer of a wrestling organization not to hire someone. It's called restraint of trade. It's illegal. And I, I think that is, that is the right thing to do. If I don't hire someone, that's my decision. But I'm not going to deprive any woman or man of their bread and butter because colleague X asked me to do that. That's unfair. Okay. I met them then. They got into uh, the organization. After meeting them, I changed my mind, and I supported both of their membership applications. Also, my, my dear friend and former NWA president, Howard Brody, uh, had come back into the organization on that same day in 2011. Shortly thereafter, uh, Howard's membership, uh, he was now working with a, a very fine gentleman, still is, in Fort Lauderdale, uh, Paul Jones. And the NWA at that time had offered, as a perk, insurance. It was a $1 million liability insurance policy. And everybody annually was sent an insurance certificate, same type of document you would have if a cop pulls you over and says, let me see your insurance ID card. It just states the policy, the effective dates, etc. And that's all we ever got. We never got the policy, and frankly, nobody, to include myself, ever felt the need to ask. Uh, however, Howard and his business partner, who is not a wrestling type, he's very successful in the private sector in a non-wrestling-related enterprise, wanted to see the actual policy. Uh, finally, after a whole bunch of, uh, for lack of a better word, red tape, he got his hands on the policy, and he took it upon himself. They disseminated the policy to other members, and fine. I mean, the, the policy was being paid for out of the common fund, so I don't think that, that anybody should have been stopped from seeing it upon demand. When Bruce, looking at it as an attorney, saw it, he had questions. He looked at what's called the declaration page, and he said, wait a minute, wait a minute. The way I read this as a lawyer... Uh, the policy only covers a certain number of shows annually, and it only is good if there's a certain number of people. Once it goes over this number of people, uh, the coverage is questionable. So questions were asked. We had been told several times thereafter that a letter would be forthcoming from the insurance company that would address and, in fact, set aside those concerns. That letter never arrived. Uh, Bruce, at that point, you know, we live in a, in, 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 in a sophisticated society. When there's a dispute, you don't say, come on out on the street, and everybody yells, draw, and the guy who's faster on the six-gun kills his opponent. That's not the way it works in real life. So Bruce recommended that a lawsuit be filed, uh, and he and Chris Ronquillo joined as plaintiffs. I was a defendant. I was a member of the board of directors at that time, and quite frankly, I take full responsibility for my omission. I probably should have asked to see the, the insurance policy before, but I guess when you get something that takes a substantial portion of overhead off your show budget, I guess it becomes the good old don't ask, don't tell type of thing and just hold your breath. We were fortunate. 
in the years the policy was there, never once was there a claim against it, so it was never really tested as to whether or not it would provide coverage. So we, we, we were doing good. Well, uh, the lawsuit began, and I want to make it very clear that the insurance policy issue was never decided by a court of law. There was no trial. There were pretrial motions uh, by the defendants, which did not succeed. Uh, there were hearings. I went down to Brownsville, Texas. I was subpoenaed, and I went several times, and I testified under oath. I, my, my testimony was never challenged. On two occasions, there were attorneys for both sides there, uh, and the veracity of my testimony was, was never challenged. I was presented with documents. I was asked to identify them and, in fact, read some of them into the record, and I did that. Several other members came, Rick O'Brien, Mike Searcy, uh, Bill Behrens was there at the final hearing. And what ended up happening is the trial court in Cameron County, Texas, rejected all of the defense's motions, and the matter was finally set down for trial. At that point, the legal costs were very high. I will tell you, matter-of-factly, it exhausted the treasury of the old company, Pro Wrestling Organization, LLC. And it really never had to come to that. Because there were good faith attempts to settle things. Uh, there were pleas that were made in writing by myself and O'Brien. Let's have a meeting. Let's get all the members together. Let's talk about this. Let's not everybody dig in and get stupid. Because the nice thing about an attorney's job is whether they win your case or lose your case, they still get paid. And the money could have put, been put to a lot better use. But that's not the way things went in the old NWA. And one reason to be very, very frank about it, I am so glad that that circus is out of my life. I cannot begin to tell you. Because now we can concentrate on pure business and not politics, not personal vendettas, not the type of idiocy. I have emails because I save everything on my computer. If I were to publish them, run, spot, run, is more sophisticated than some of the emails that came out of the old NWA. It was vile. It was malicious. It was just totally, totally not worth my time. But nonetheless, when you believe in a concept, I guess you hang in. Okay. So there were settlement talks. Uh, myself, uh, Bruce, Chris, Slim Balcom, Bill Behrens. Finally, there was good faith. And the settlement was negotiated. There were several things taken into uh, consideration. And, of course, one of which, yes, and this has been opined upon uh, by several people who have the maturity to do it intelligently, and it's been put into uh, less sophisticated analyses by people who wouldn't know journalism if it hit them in the ass. Uh, and it came down to a matter of common sense. Yeah, they couldn't afford to fight anymore. Listen, that's what lawyers do. They wear you down financially. Ask any man or woman that's ever been in litigation, and they will tell you that the meter keeps running, and sometimes you settle. Even though in your heart you believe you're right, you just can't continue the fight anymore, and settlement is the only possible way out. So we settled, and it ended up, the settlement ended up, with the brand, the trademarks for the NWA name, the logo, etc., uh, to be transferred to a new corporation, International Wrestling Corp. LLC, which is headquartered in Houston, Texas. Uh, several of us 
join forces with Bruce and Chris because we were impressed by their business model. Okay, for the first time in the more than 15 years I was in the NWA, I was able to hold a written business model, a cogent plan that I believed had a good probability of success in my hand. I had never seen anything like that before. There was a lot of talk. There was a lot of saber rattling. But talk doesn't build railroads. Action does. And I believed in it. Okay, I, I, I should say one thing. It's, it's out of the chronology of events, but I, I think it fits here. Uh, following that meeting in October of 2011, I had gotten a call from Bruce and Chris, and they asked me if I would be interested. They asked several other members in getting into a business plan. And at this time, this is before the insurance, the alleged insurance inconsistencies uh, were known. They simply wanted to do something to move the organization forward. I got on a plane. I flew from Philadelphia to Houston. We met at Chris Ronquillo's Country Club. And that's the first time I saw the initial draft of the business plan. We called several of the members on the telephone that day. We read it to them. Uh, we told them what we wanted to do. And it was left to me to call Bob Trowbridge, who even though we were thrust involuntarily so into an adversarial relationship, I want to make one thing clear, and I've said it before and I'll say it again. I do not dislike Bob Trowbridge. I do not hate Bob Trowbridge. I like Bob Trowbridge. To this day, we maintain a civil relationship. We communicate. He's a good man. I've stayed in his home. I know his family. He's a good lawyer. He's helped a lot of people. And I have nothing but respect for Bob. Some of the others, just not worth my time. Uh, but I then called Bob from the Houston airport while I was waiting for my flight back to Philadelphia, and I asked Bob how he would feel about taking, not leaving, here's the key word, sabbatical, a temporary leave of absence from his position as the then executive director. Let's remember something. The concept of the executive director, which succeeded the uh, office of president of the NWA, that happened in 2005. And it happened down in Nashville, and the people who drafted the language were myself and Rick O'Brien. And when we changed the form of governance, it was approved unanimously by the members. We, Rick and I were bullish on the concept because democracy, while it's the best form of government to live under, it is the absolute worst form of government to run a corporation under because somebody needs to be able to make a decision without acting like the United States Congress, where the design of a postage stamp can be tied up in debate for, for 10 months. So we needed to move forward. Okay, let's get back to modern times. Uh, when the settlement of the lawsuit was reached and records and, and all the papers were signed off on, uh, we formed the company. We had been talking extensively, and Bruce took the lead as president. Uh, Chris Ronquillo chief financial officer and myself as chief operating officer uh, out of everybody bruce maintains a very active successful law practice in brownsville texas uh, chris is at a very high level with a very well-placed connoisseur gourmet type of uh, uh, wine company whom he represents he globetrots and me i'm the old geezer i'm retired although I'm busier now than I was when I was in the last phase of my, my active career. But I love this stuff. I enjoy it. 
I fly a lot. I'm to the point where I go to Philadelphia Airport, and I guess I'm there too much because I start to know some of the TSA agents by name, and we kid around. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I took the championship belt that we had been using uh, on a flight, and it was great. I mean, if these guys hadn't been on duty, they actually wanted to take pictures with it, but of course they couldn't do that. But it was so, so cool just just to, to be able to put a smile on people's face. The NWA, we're partnering with a lot of people. We're doing business differently. Uh, we don't have members anymore. The old company, you had members who were, in effect, shareholders. And uh, they had a vested interest in it. Then you had three levels of membership. One was the full member, of which I was one. Then there were associate members who were sponsored by the full members within their existing territory, and they paid a fee. They paid a fee for several years, and then the fee was deemed complete. And then you had affiliates. I never believed in associates. I always brought the people in New York and New Jersey in as affiliates for one simple reason. And, and maybe I just considered myself to be a fair man because to ask them to become associates and pay an annual installment of which I as the full member would have gotten a share, they were not getting anything more from their dollar than I could have given them for free. And I just found that to be unconscionable. The fellow from Pennsylvania uh, who went to do it right, who first came up with that concept years ago, it was done as a money-making thing. And, and fine, fine, we're all in business to make money. But it just didn't sit well with me. So I opted to bring people in for free. And I have some great people. We have the, the great NWA on fire, of course. We have NWA Northern New Jersey, Rick Itazu. Uh, my partners, Tom Cairo and Phil Varlis and NWA Coastal. We have the great uh, Lawrence Zirconium, in NWA Dog, we have NWA New York, uh, Mike Rosario in the Rochester area, and we have three more that will be coming on board in the metropolitan area very, very shortly. Very proud of that. These are good people. The new form, we changed everything over to licensees. Everybody now has something they never had before. They have a written agreement, and that agreement is clear, and there's no individual deals. When you used to join the NWA as a full member, there was an entrance fee of $3,000, and then you paid an annual dues payment of $300. We thought that to be horribly excessive. We're sensitive nowadays with the economic realities to what people take in at the turnstile. So we decided to eliminate any big entrance fee, and everybody pays the same thing, which is a fee simple, $300. There are no, there were rumors all over again, paper never refuses ink, and all the um, journalists, well, they have to pay Thorpe 250 anywhere between 250 and $600 a show. That was a lie then, and it's a lie now. There is no such fee. We have something else we did. Uh, we had some great champions under the old NWA. Adam Pierce, Mike Rapata, Steve Carino, Danny Severn. Uh, a lot of good men who held that title. A lot of good women. Tasha Simone, who held the women's title. A lot of good tag teams. Dark City Fight Club. Uh, and nobody was booking them. And I'll tell you what the rule of thumb was. Adam Pierce. I like Adam Pierce. I have nothing but respect for Adam Pierce. I refereed the match where he won the title on his last reign at the Ohio State Fair. But the reality was that Adam Pierce was in California and my shows were outside of Atlantic City, New Jersey. And for me to bring Adam in, in addition to his fee, which was reasonable for a man of his ability, was close to another $500 in airline fee 
plus another 100, 150, whatever I could get on a hotel, and almost one half of my talent budget was going for one half of one match. And it pained me because I believed that for the title, the NWA world title, to enjoy the prestige it deserved, then the champion should be out there. So here's what we did. We looked at that. We spent considerable time talking about it. And we felt that the fairest way uh, to leave that money that used to be paid in the $3,000 entrance fee out there in circulation was to now have a requirement. We eliminated some of the volitional choices, and instead we placed requirements. Again, people had this in writing. They knew it going in, and it's being honored, I'm happy to say, where each licensee, no matter where they are, are required to book the NWA champions a total of four times per business year, which runs from each October 1 to September 30th of the following year. Out of those four championship bookings, at least one of them must be the world champion. The other three they can choose from the mix, be it tag, be it the woman's title, uh, the junior heavyweight title, our former champ, Kevin Douglas, great young man, our current champ, Chase Owens. Uh, and this way, we feel that the champions will receive the exposure they deserve. And hopefully, their gate appeal will become evident, and people are going to go way beyond the four required bookings and bring them in more frequently because they make money. We're going into merchandising areas, uh, another falsehood that is out there. Yes, we had discussed it. Uh, some people who get their, their their jollies out of, oh, well, let me take this document I have and put it on the Internet, you know, for 10 seconds worth of satisfaction, uh, grow up. If you want to be in business, why then would you reveal confidential documents? That's, that's not the way life works in the grown-up world. It may be the kiddie world in the sandbox, but it's not the way it works. There's certain things you keep confidential because it's simply the smart thing to do to protect your own interests. Originally, we had talked about merchandise flowing through the organization itself, flowing through the NWA. We changed that because, as I've said often, life is a negotiation. From the boardroom of a corporation to the bedroom of a couple, everything is subject to negotiation. I firmly believe that and made my living doing it. So we listened to people. And we modified things. We're not kidding ourselves. We don't expect to become millionaires. We don't expect to become Vince McMahon, Dixie Carter, or anybody at that level. We're not kidding ourselves. We know what the marketplace is out there. Um, and we modified a lot of it. And we're still open to it. Our champions, for the first time, they're under a written contract. They know what they're getting. Their fees are guaranteed when they're booked. Again, our licensees knew this going in. It's a fair fee. It's a level playing field other than transportation costs, which will differ, depend on how far you have to fly, etc., uh, the cost for booking the champion is at a fixed price. So when people do a budget for a show, they have a basis from which to work. It's working well. Uh, we just had a championship change. The World Heavyweight Championship is now on a very, very exciting athlete, the Tokyo Monster Cahagas. Uh, this was done in Clayton, New Jersey, the beginning of this month. We had a championship change in the junior title uh, where Chase Owens is now wearing that belt. And we had an exciting match that promoter Mike Searcy ran in the Lebanon, Tennessee area where the veteran world's woman's champion, Tasha Simone, who is one of the best 
females who understands this business, respects this business, and conducts herself as a consummate professional. Where she was defeated by the current champion, Casey Carlisle, whom I worked with last night here in New Jersey and is carrying Tasha's tradition forward. And a lot of people have said, what about that horrible belt you have? Well, I looked at that belt. And when people are right, they're right. That didn't res- that, that reminded me of either a, a very poor-fitting girdle or some sort of ancient torture device. So that belt is going to be retooled. When? Simple answer. When we can afford it. We're a fledgling enterprise. Bruce, Chris, and I have been managing the NWA actively for just about 90 days. And as I've said in other interviews, it didn't get broken overnight, and it won't get fixed overnight, but we are committed to fixing it. Uh, and that is the state of the NWA. It is going to go forward. We're moving forward with TV. Uh, we have a we have several television providers. No, we are not Monday Night Raw. There are no video walls. There are no pyrotechnics. Uh, we're not going to blow you out of your easy chair with 7.1 channel stereo sound or whatever the state of the art is nowadays. But we're working with the NWA Fire on Fire Group, uh, Mario Savoldi and his colleagues. Very excited about that. Very excited. I grew up watching Mario's father, the great Angelo Savoldi, when I was a kid at the old Madison Square Garden. And uh, to be working with his son and his grandson and the other members of their team is, is a very, very exciting thing for me. Because, yeah, I'll say it so nobody else has to. Am I a fan? Am I a mark? Am I this or that? Whatever. I don't care what you call me as long as it's not late for dinner. I love this business. I've been involved in it since 1960. I started writing for the Ring magazine uh, when the word Internet wasn't even in the lexicon. And I did that in the uh, – I had my first feature – article published, which was on Man, the late Man Mountain Cannon and the late Antonino Rocca, which I shot the pictures myself at the old Sunnyside Garden in Queens, New York, and that was in the early 1960s. And I refereed my first match, which was Dory Funk Jr. against Thunderbolt Patterson in the San Angelo, Texas Coliseum in 1968. And uh, I love this business. I get great satisfaction professionally. A lot of friends that are wrestlers, uh, a real shout-out to a dear friend of mine, uh, Jeff Jarrett, great guy, heck of a guy. We were drawn closely together because both our wives, unfortunately, contracted breast cancer, and it caused us to have a common denominator. And while I won't go into specifics of our friendship, let's just say that it gave us a brotherhood that remains solid to this day. My friends on the other side of the ocean, the great uh, Yoshi Nakamura at the Zero One Company, and some of his people, I mourn my friend Shinya Hashimoto, who was taken from us at the tender age of 40. Uh, It's been a uniquely rewarding experience for me. So now that my gas bag is deflated, let me pass it back to you. Well, thank you, Fred. Uh, This is Dave over here, co-host of the Ken Reedy Show, and thank you for coming on today. Uh, My pleasure. Definitely have had a lot to say, and you, you started off the interview with a bang um, about uh, Jake the Snake Roberts. Um, in in years past, it seems, at least to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, there has been some controversies with the NWA championship. Of course, Ric Flair took the NWA title and left and went to the WWF, and then um, in 1994, Shane Douglas threw down the NWA championship and then became, you know, the birth of extreme championship wrestling, and then recently there was a little bit of 
uh, some uh, controversy and confusion regarding the NWA championship. Um, you mentioned Adam Pearce earlier. He was in a match with uh, Colt Cabana, in fact, the seven levels of hate, and it came down to the seventh match, and Colt Cabana won the championship, but then he was immediately stripped of the championship. Um, two questions here. First, what's the story behind um, Colt Cabana being stripped of the NWA championship? And secondly, Cahagas, the current championship holder, was added as a last-minute entrant into the eight-man match um, when he won the NWA title. Can you can you explain your reasoning behind the stripping of Colt Cabana as well as adding Cahagas into that match? It would be my pleasure, Dave. First of all, minor correction. Uh, Colt, this last time around, was not the champion. He'd been prior to that. The match that took place at the Warzone promotion in Australia was not a sanctioned title defense. And let me give you the truth as to what happened. Uh, myself and Chris Ronquillo conducted a telephone interview with all of our champions and prospective ones. The Seven Levels of Hate program, which was an excellent program, I will never take away from the quality of the workmanship of either Colt Cabana or Adam Pierce. Anybody who bought a ticket to those matches received 100 cents on the dollar, probably 200 cents on the dollar. They're both great workers. Uh, but after we had the interview via telephone with Colt, which was very cordial, uh, we left there being told that his dates, he's a very popular guy and he's making a buck. God bless him. I hope he continues to make a buck. Um, we did not believe given the new requirements for booking the champion, okay, that he had enough available dates for us to be able to carry out the programs that we had in mind. Again, doesn't take away from his workmanship. He's a good worker. Any promoter listening, should you book him? Absolutely yes. Anybody out there, should you be watching him, supporting him, enjoying him? Absolutely yes. But for our business plan, he just didn't have the availability that we needed. So the reason that was put out there publicly before the match uh, is that we felt the safety of the workers was more important than the title and that uh, by removing the sanctioning, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, it would be a, a safety factor because since the match was inside a cage, uh, let's just say that it would not take it to the point where either man's physical well-being was put in jeopardy. That was a good answer, and that was probably part of it. The other part of the answer uh, is that the promoter of the show at the Warzone promotion, a guy named Benny Gilbert, was a prospective licensee. He had filled out the application. He had said, oh, yeah, the check is in the mail, the check is in the mail. Well, the check never arrived. So the night of the match... Uh, he was well into delinquency. He was not a licensed NWA company. Now, if you yourself, Dave, if you had paid on a timely basis, and one of the things you had paid for was to ensure that the NWA proprietary championships were only defended either on the shows of licensees or on shows, if somebody wants, if, if Champion X wants to defend his or her title, on a non-NWA show, we have a two-pronged process. Number one, it's got to be approved by the three of us. And number two, if it's within the territory of a licensee, 
then that licensee has to approve it because they have exclusivity in that area. And we had to act accordingly. And we very simply were not willing to sanction it. Had nothing to do with the seven levels of hate. The seven levels of hate, if you're familiar with the program, was never contingent on the championship. It was contingent upon whether or not Adam would retire if Mr. Cabana won the majority of the matches. That's what it was about. Uh When the belt was brought into the ring on the video, you didn't have to be a fortune teller to know what was going to happen next. And while I'm not going to put an over amount of weight on the symbolism of it, do I think it was unnecessary what went on with the hardware of the belt? Were they trying to to send a message to us? You know what? You want to send a message to me. You have my phone number. You have my email. You want to tell me to put you know what, you know where. I've heard it before. I've said it a few times myself. You want to pull silliness like that. You know, I found something out. Uh, it's just like what's going on now with our generals, General Petraeus, for retired General Petraeus and General Allen. You put something in writing or you put it on video, that's forever. It doesn't change anything with us, okay? It really doesn't. It doesn't hurt our box office, doesn't help our box office. But you know what? When you're in this business to make a living and you want to go upstairs, the primary rule of the road is you don't crap on the booker, Okay? You, 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 there's things you do in this business which you don't do with a smile on your face like any business when I was in my professional career there were orders that came down I found them aberrant but you know what when the guy on giving the order had more stripes on his sleeve than me I followed it unless it put my health or safety in jeopardy which clearly this did not I followed it because that's what a professional does so you had your fun it got over you got your cheers I've seen comments both pro and con. The bottom line, as far as Bruce and Chris and I are concerned, it doesn't matter. Okay? It doesn't change my opinion of Mr. Cabana's work. It does not change my opinion. I am not the type of person that I change my mind on one incident. I thought it was silly. I thought it was immature. And I just don't think that it did anything that that, that you can make money off of. But if it made you feel good, God bless you. God bless you. Feel good. Now let's move on to Cahagas. We had a championship to fill. Adam was retiring, uh, so he surrendered the title. We could not come up. Uh, this was correctly reported by Brian Alvarez. And we could, Adam did not have dates where we could do anything uh, with the title as far as him participating directly in the match. And again, Adam was not stonewalling us. This is how life goes at times. There are obligations outside the squared circle. We decided that we wanted the title filled quickly. And the first show that was available was the NWA Dog Show in Clayton, New Jersey. And we held a tournament. We put it together, and I know there was comment as far as the quality of the people that were in that tournament. I do not agree with those comments. I think that the promoter, Lawrence Zirconian, everybody he put in there was fine. They were qualified to be in there. We didn't have time to go around and say, okay, send me a guy from from Idaho. Send me a guy from Alaska. We wanted to get this done. This was our decision to make. Am I sensitive to the to the comments that fans, or as I like to refer to them, customers make? Yes, I am. But the buck stops here, and that was our decision. Now, 
the banter was that, oh, Damian Wayne, he's a sure thing. He's going to ride into this. This is who they want, Damian Wayne. Now, let me say something about Damian Wayne. Damian Wayne is absolutely fantastic. If you have not seen him, you need to. Because he is the quintessential National Wrestling Alliance professional. Uh, Damian Wayne, I will never forget, I think it was the third or fourth match I refereed with him. It was an outdoor show. And the finish that Damian came up with, it's all I could do to keep from cracking up and, and remember to do the three count because it was one of the greatest finishes I ever saw. In front of a bike of, of motorcycles, back to the days in Sturgis, uh, Damien climbed the top of a porta potty and he dove off a porta potty with a roll of toilet paper and he pinned his opponent. And it will live forever in some of the great moments in New Jersey pro wrestling history. But everybody figured Damien was going to get it. So uh, we put our heads together because wrestling wise, that was quite probable. And. There's a, a saying in wrestling that uh, when somebody has the answer, then sometimes you have to change the question. And we did. Cahagas's name had been mentioned. Again, just coincidence. I was fortunate enough to ref the match in Fort Lauderdale when Cahagas won the national title from the great Chance Prophet, another person who did, in fact, compete in the tournament in Clayton, New Jersey. He had my respect. He's a fine man to work with. His his persona in the ring is exciting. It's contemporary. His athletic ability is without question. We wanted to throw a little bit of a surprise. Call it a swerve. Call it whatever you want to do. So, yeah, we went ahead and we got Cahagas up there literally at the last minute. want to throw in a little, little uh, sidebar here to the Cahagas matter. Uh, there had been reports... Well, Cahagas had to pay his own way up there. Well, we did not pay for Cahagas' airfare. That's a truism. But he did not pay it either. Okay? It is common that promoters at times, for their own self-interest, when they want to take one of their often used talents and get them exposure at a higher level or get them into a program, that they subsidize airfare. My partners and I in New Jersey have done it. But Cahagas did not pay for his own fare. Okay? And he was paid by the NWA for his, his work that night. So Cahagas came up to the building. The first thing I had to do, and I jumped on it, he didn't come up in his gimmick, of course, uh, and we sequestered him. We found a lonely corner of the locker room. We were at a public high school, and I literally rushed him in there, and he didn't even begin to put on his face paint until the eight-man tournament he was a part of had gone live. The bell had rung. It was, it, it was happening and he put on his stuff, and then at the appropriate time, when it was down to just Chance Prophet and Damian Wayne, all of a sudden, Cahagas' manager, Dante Brown, came out with the microphone, uh, and he told everybody that he had protested to Bruce Tharp, and that he had Bruce Tharp on the cell phone. And of course, I got on the cell phone, it was Bruce and Chris, and they said, listen, man, listen, he should have been in it all along, and he was in it. Cahagas gets in the ring. Okay, the crowd at this point is flabbergasted. They don't know what to think. Cahagas was not overly well-known in that area of New Jersey, but his presence is quite imposing. And he gets in. Uh, Chance is in the ring with Damien. They're both looking, not knowing what to make out of it. Damien seizes the moment, uh, and he pile-drives Chance. Chance goes out, boom, one, two, three. Then it's the two of them, and it went back and forth. There was a good four or five minutes of exciting, good wrestling action. 
which ended with Cahagas hitting his finishing move, and a clean three count. There was no controversy, no feet on the ropes, no outside interference. It was a clean pin, dead center of the ring, <laughs> and Cahagas became the next NWA World Heavyweight Champion in the men's division. And that's exactly how it happened. We did a rematch uh, a week ago Friday where I flew down to Houston, Texas, where Cahagas and Damian Wayne brawled all over the building. Uh, I showed great leeway. I finally ended up throwing the match out. They were outside of the ring more than they were in. The match went on close to 20 minutes. It was a bloodbath. And I'm going to say something especially appropriate that it happened in Texas. When I started refereeing, I was in Texas. You had guys like you had the Von Brauners, you had Cowboy Bob Ellis, you had the Funks. I mean, these guys were extreme, and, I, and I've used this analogy often, and it fits. Before Paul Heyman's parents were even married, for heaven's sake, these guys invented it. Chain matches, one of the best matches I ever saw in Texas, was on St. Patrick's Day. It was dangerous Danny McShane against Bull Curry, two good Irishmen. And the stipulation was that the winner got to paint the loser with emerald green paint. It was great. It was great. Uh, and you had the same type of thing going in Texas. Uh, yeah, no, nobody dove off a balcony. Not that there was one to dive off of. But it was action. Uh, there were garbage cans. There were beverage containers. The crowd was absolutely into it. It was you. You couldn't hear yourself thinking there. That's one of the reasons I was so liberal and let it go on as long as I did. Uh, nobody in the crowd interfered. Everybody stayed back. And these two guys in vintage, vintage. You talk about tradition, vintage NWA style. They were all over the place. And there are more rematches to come. I can't give out the dates, but I know for a fact uh, that assuming the title doesn't change, and even if it does, there'll still be rematches. Just the belt will be on the role of champion and challenger will reverse. But there are at least three more matches scheduled. These are the types of programs. This is at the core of the new booking philosophy that Bruce, Chris, and I have. It's to give people, to get them back to what built the NWA. Okay, key point. I don't live in the past. I learn from it. I like, to, I, I like to preserve the past, but at the same time, try and work with my partners to pioneer the future. We know we can't go back in time. It's a different fan. Today's fan has been classically conditioned by the big-time promotions who have bottomless pits of money. They have the fans conditioned, everything from a chant, uh, the merchandise. I mean, it's, it's brilliant. Vince McMahon, I knew his father, rest in peace. And his son has taken what was a simple uh, meat and potatoes wrestling operation and turned it into one of the most successful enterprises in the history of the world. I congratulate him because it didn't happen. He made it happen. Big difference. But at the same time, we still believe there's a market. What does the NWA do differently? Simple. We run smaller shows. We're not in the Madison Square Gardens, okay? We're not in the Meadowlands. We're at the VFW halls, we're in the high schools, and our customers can get up close and personal. Saw it last night in Bayville, New Jersey. They're up close and personal. The wrestlers react to them. They don't have as strict a set of rules as they might have in TNA or the WWE, and they can react to the fans. They can interact with them. It's, it's more of a hands-on experience. And there's a market that enjoys this. Uh, 
Is it as glamorous as the WWE? No. But a lot of the people that started in the NWA started in the indies. They end up in the big leagues. And I'm going to tell you, maybe I'm a product of my age, but I take a certain joy in seeing kids, as I like to call them, you can say that when you're my age, who I worked with on the indies, see them realize their dream, see them make it big. One of my good friends, Matt Stryker, every time I see him, or, or CM Punk or people like that, you feel good because you know who they are, you know what they're about, and they realize their dream. That's, that, that's the quintessential principle of American society. And, and, and you can't help but feel warm and fuzzy about it. And, and, and this is the direction in which we hope to guide the product. Will we change things? Yeah, we're sensitive to the marketplace. We practice inclusion, not exclusion. Anybody says that we're not accessible, well, that simply isn't true. If somebody uses the, uh, the email address on our NWA website, the email is routed to both Chris Bruce and myself. And one of us, maybe not right away, but we will give you a response, unless what you're sending us is a profanity-laced epithet that is just simply not going to evoke any type of response because we're not going to lower ourselves to that level. But this year's Hall of Fame, which was just announced a couple of days ago, was supposed to be out earlier, but uh, after sitting for over a week with no electricity, uh, just didn't get out on time. But for the first time in history, there was a blue-ribbon panel of, of fans. Chris Drummond out of Philadelphia led it. And they did a heck of a job. 95% of their suggestions were used. And that's going to continue to happen. We listen. We want suggestions. But one of the things that I find objectionable, anybody can cast stones. It's really easy to throw stones when you don't have the burden of production. But as I've said on other interviews, and I mean this, if you're not reaching into your pocket, you don't know what it's like. Okay, Last night, my partners and I sat. We didn't have a big pre-sale. They're not common nowadays. People are impulse buyers. And we sat there prepared to run to the cash machines because we thought a bath, we thought we were going to take Niagara Falls. And then at the last minute, here they came. The cars started pulling up, and we had damn near a sellout. And we wiped the perspiration off our brows. Uh, but for people to cast dispersions and tell us how to do things when they don't have a penny at risk and in all probability – they don't buy tickets. They don't buy merchandise. They sit home, watch the bootleg videos on YouTube, and, and, and get the information from the people at the shows that send it out, which is fine. Freedom of speech is a great thing. Uh, fine. Don't, don't, don't throw stones because you don't know what it is to have money at risk. You don't know what it is to try and figure out what customers want. Sometimes you're right, and other times you take a hit. You go in there assuming that risk. But Monday morning quarterbacking in this country is a great sport. Okay, it's a great sport. But <laughs> again, you know, some of the stuff that I read is just absurd. Where they get their information from, I just don't understand. The name calling. Does that really make you feel important? Do you believe that you have credibility when all you can do is call names? Come up with it. Well, this one's a crooked this. This one is shady that. Grow up. Grow up. This is a business. Okay? It's a business that's run with real money paid by real people. 
It's like the analogy of hamburgers. If you like hamburgers, God love you. And if you don't like the way they cook them at McDonald's, go to Burger King. Go to Wendy's. Go to Whataburger. That's it. If you don't like our wrestling, that's your choice. It doesn't make you a bad person. But stop knocking the people. Leave us to run our enterprise. We are paying for it. You are not. Fred, we're running short on time, so I sure. Get, but you know what? I, I want to get you on again. Um, a lot of great stuff. Uh, I can't thank you enough for being on the show. Uh, I get you on again real soon and uh, give us more info on uh, what's going on in the NWA. It would be my pleasure, and I thank you so very much, Ken and Dave, for the honor of being on your broadcast. Please stay well and a happy, and most importantly, a healthy Thanksgiving. Thank you, and the honor was all ours. So you too have a great Thanksgiving. Talk to you soon. Good night, gentlemen. Good night. Well, and there you have it. Wow. Um, Got to get him on real soon. We uh, Again, we prepared uh, a lot of questions and want to get uh, some more stuff out of Fred, but uh, the man don't pull any punches. You know, he tells you like it is, so uh, you get an inside look at what's going on in the NWA. A little exciting, uh, no BS approach, and... Uh, you know, hopefully onward and upward for the NWA. We got about three minutes left on the show. Uh, Fred was kind enough to give us about an hour of his time. Quick, Dave, going into Survivor Series tonight, uh, the title match. What do you see coming out of that? I see CM Punk winning. Um, I, I think they're really they're really dead set on uh, making him, you know, the guy heading into you know WrestleMania next year. And uh, we're right back in John Cena go. I think John Cena goes back to doing what he was doing with Vicky Guerrero and Dolph Ziggler. And I, I see Ryback in a more positive light, maybe against a guy like Big Show or some other top guy. But Punk went in tonight. I think that CM Punk, and this is going to be high praise coming from me, because, uh, you know, I don't give anybody, you know, I don't just jump on a bandwagon. CM Punk has got a a flair-type quality to his title run. And I don't think everyone can do this, but he's done well at being a heel champion and continuing to retain his title and, and being kind of weaselly about it but not looking weak. And, and I think that's a talent because some guys, you know, just look too strong and other guys, you know, are heel champions, but somehow they look weak when they cheat to win. And... Punk has a, has a knack for looking strong, even though he's been kind of a weasel uh, with the title. So I am going to agree with you on the prediction. I think Punk retains. I think this further builds uh, juice. I, I, I'd i be shocked, but I think we're looking at the Royal Rumble for CM Punk versus The Rock. Uh, that's what we're going to get. And, you know, every day, every minute, every second that CM Punk holds that title, uh, it adds more juice to uh, that match at the Rumble. I, I see no advantage. I think Ryback at some point, maybe he's the heavyweight champ, but uh, I don't know if he's ready yet. Cena doesn't need it. Um, I do like perhaps it's spawning off into, uh, you know, maybe next pay-per-view. We have a one-on-one -on -one Ryback versus uh, John Cena, but much like my prediction last week, I think we may have something where Ryback hits the finisher on John Cena and somehow CM Punk slides into the ring and winds up getting the pin off that. And uh, 
that happens. Um, but I, I would agree with you right there. I think we have CM Punk retaining his title. I got I got some news. I just I just found this online. Cody Rhodes has been is now out of Team Ziggler. So it'll be Dolph Ziggler, Wade Bear, Alberto Del Rio, Damian Sandow, and drumroll please, David Otunga. Wow. Well, that's enough for me to buy the pay per view. <laughs> news as we're close to going off the air. I, apologies. I know we had a bunch of people on hold we were unable to get to, but. Uh, just great interview uh, from Fred, Fred Rubinson. We're going to be sure to get him back on soon. We the whole show and let him uh, just go. Lots of great stuff from him. We'd like to thank Sebastian Cruz for being on as well. It's just about Survivor Series time. Again, remember, no show next week. Everyone support us. Have a great Thanksgiving. Health and happiness to you and your families. For Dave, I'm Ken Reedy. Thank you all, and have a great night.